Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Hall of Justice Comic Cast. As always, I'm your host, the Above Average Joe, and with me again is... <laughs> Mighty Mike. And Mike, what are we talking about today? We're talking about some spine-tingling, screaming horror. Exactly, the terror of horror comics. Which is perfectly timed, because it's Halloween weekend. Mm-hmm. All um, Hallows' Eve. Well, not yet. I mean, that's Tuesday. Sawin. Which actually kind of sums up my feelings on Tuesday as Monday's unwanted sequel, so it works. So, yeah, Mike, let's talk a little bit about the origin of horror. Absolutely. Um, Horror is one of the unsung genres of comic books for a very long time now. Because, believe it or not, horror was absolutely a staple beginning origin genre for comic books. I mean, you had the originals of horror, detective comics, noir... Uh, cowboy comics and the eventually advent of romance all long before we had any superhero stories whatsoever. Absolutely. I mean, one of the two big comics at the time, I mean, the Western comics were kind of the real start of the genre and then it evolved into the noir detective piece and then horror just hit the scene and went running and they became some of the most popular comics of the time before the advent of, of superheroes. And even after the advent of superheroes, horror main, has maintained an upward swing up until... The introduction of the Comics Code Authority, brought to us by the the lovely concept of McCarthyism and a novel known as Seduction of the yes. Innocent, which we've talked about several times. And on it's this podcast. specifically that was the it was the advent for the the Comics Code Authority and the Seduction of the, the Seduction of the specifically called out two things. One, it said that. Batman and Robin were gay, and it was teaching children about homosexuality. And the next thing was that horror was teaching all of our children to be violent and murderous pricks. Yeah. Also, there was uh, another sexual overtone that was applied specifically to vampirism, which is why Mm -hmm. one of the very first things the Comics Code Authority did was establish a complete embargo on vampire-related storytelling. And that lasted until, I think, what, 70, 71? And the thing about imposing on horror is that horror was unique in that it wasn't very much serials. It wasn't long-running stories. It was all a bunch of anthology collections. So by attacking it and wiping it off as a genre... You took so much creative writing and stories and these one-shots off the table because there were thousands and thousands of one-shots and small collections of stories uh, that had been collected and told over and over again in, in different ways that were now gone because that was the way that they were published, mostly as anthologies. Absolutely. And one I mean, one slightly good thing to come out of this is we started to see an increase of horror-tinged characters. Mm-hmm. The guidelines were very specific in the CCA, so a lot of publishers were starting to bring in characters that skirted that line. Um, yeah. For example, on the DC side, Dead Man mm-hmm. was very much right on the edge of acceptability there. Um, same thing with Marvel's Ghost Rider, kind of, again, just skirting the edge. But we, we lost out on all the great storytelling we did. It, 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 like we I did. said, it was a, it was a staple of uh, the genre, and uh, it had like things like EC Comics uh, were were producing huge anthologies, the Tales from the Crypt, uh, uh, House of Mysteries, and the, these these stories have resonated throughout today, and a lot of them have been made into classic movies like Frankenstein, The Swamp Thing, Wolfman. All these stories were told in comic book form uh, long before the movie medium came along. Yeah, absolutely. So. Eventually, the Comics Code Authority, as it was kind of waning and Mm. starting to fade from existence... Mm -hmm. Thank goodness. Thankfully. um, ...started to really release some of the the restraints on horror. And once the embargo on vampirism was lifted, Marvel was actually the first one to kind of test the waters. They Mm -hmm. introduced the Morbius character in 
Spider-Man. And once once people responded to that, and there wasn't so much of a, really, they were kind of hoping for any reaction that wasn't negative. Yes. Even if it was, even if it was ignored, because you had a lot of these writers that made their bones on horror storytelling and can no longer do that. And it, it, it was a strong staple of the genre, and it showed that by being one of the first genres to actually buck up against the Comic Code Authority and said, "We're not submitting to you anymore." Absolutely. So Marvel really kicked off the resurgence of horror in a lot of ways. You had the very first horror title that Marvel re-released was The Tomb of Dracula. Mm-hmm. So they went right in. Once vampirism became okay, they sank their teeth in. Yeah. Ah, fix- ah, <laughs> ah. Sorry. Who are you, me today? Come on. I'm sorry. I know that one sucked. Uh, yeah, there you go. And, uh, yeah, because they're like, like Joe had said before, there was a a sexual pervasiveness that has gone through uh, vampire mythos. And then you also had the violence and the, and the blood draining and everything. So it was, it, it was a daring thing to pick as the first thing to step your toe back in the pond with. And absolutely. Although the title did get off to a bit of a rocky start. Um, mm-hmm. There was a lot of editorial backlash. Uh, there was no real dedicated writer. It was listed as being written by Jerry Conway, but he actually had very little input on the book until its first issue was already completely scripted. Yeah. So there was a lot of back and forth on ownership, but and eventually this title fell away. However, we did get a very imp- important character that spun out of Tomb of Dracula. Actually, mm-hmm. a couple of important characters. They're both related. Mike, anybody, any thoughts on who it might be? Uh, some motherfucker's always trying to ice skate uphill. That's right. The Daywalker himself. who originally, Daywalker! Who originally wasn't a Daywalker, but we'll talk about that yep, later. Yep. But yes, Blade made his first appearance, and actually so did Deacon Frost, yes. the so-called motherfucker Frost! trying to ice skate uphill. Uh, so those characters spun out and eventually became part of the mainstay Marvel universe. But it was good to see a resurg- a beginning resurgence in horror, and while it did mm-hmm. fade away as a genre, it started to become a more active theme in mainstream comics. They uh, literally, like, I'll, I'll go at a horror perspective here. They, they, the comics went around the, the dead carcass of, of horror and they picked it apart and they took the things that they liked the most and integrated them into their storylines. Things got darker and grittier all over the place or uh, the kind of uh, noir drama of some and the suspense and thrillingness of some horrors got added and changed and, and integrated into hero storylines. Absolutely. And you started to see a lot of visual callbacks to the horror genre. Mm-hmm. Um, forgive me, I cannot remember the name of the artist, but Watchmen, when you're reading this book, um, while a lot of the main stuff is just standard, there's the tale of the... Tale of the Black Racer. I can't remember what it is. The the pirate storyline. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That has a lot of classic horror moments drawn into the panels. And it it really is a subtext. And we started to see that, that evolution in storytelling where they kind of went, okay... The market isn't used to horror comics again, so we don't want to flood it with horror comics, but we're going to start building it up. We're going to start building the presence up through our storytelling. And this happened across the board. I mean, both major publishers started increasing it. DC really leaned into it with their Vertigo imprint. Yes, we had the rise of of Karen Berger, who was started off as an editor at DC and then rolled in and created Vertigo comic line. Mm -hmm. And it was fantastic. See, some of the, some of my favorite storylines of all time have come from Vertigo Comics. It was the birthplace of a lot of amazing stories, and to have that darker imprint, uh, and it eventually, like we've talked about, the people started taking from it, and they leaned a little bit too hard in, the, in the, that direction. Yeah, the Vertigo imprint did get a little little crazy in some mm-hmm. regards. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that came out of Vertigo that were just one offs that 
you kind of wonder how they passed editorial, but there was a lot of good stuff too. But and, I, I love that they gave them free reign to try these ideas. Oh and yeah, bring them absolutely. Back now it and to was, go to that dark place. It was the great experiment. Mm-hmm. I mean, but even some other independent publishers uh, started to really play with the the line between hero and horror. Yes. Uh, that's actually what really gave us Hellboy. Yes. And the return of Hellboy and the establishment of BPRD. And if you look at the Hellboy comics, you can see how many things have spun out of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, was it Mike Mignola's uh, Hellboy in Hell that just happened a couple of years ago, I think, mm-hmm. was a great kind of finale to that storyline. But there's been so many great spinoffs and individual one-shots that have just been really good views into the world of horror. Uh, I mean, we've even seen a race of Cthulhu-related comics. I mean, oh, there's absolutely. been a whole bunch of stuff. About those. Yeah. So let's talk about some specific uh, kind of Renaissance uh, horror comics here. Mike, what you got? Uh, well, first I want to touch real quick on, like, what happened to, to Vertigo while we're still on that topic. Oh, yeah, let's, let's uh, talk about that. And Vertigo, uh, it, it was a great experiment, like you said, and it was the grand experiment of bringing this genre back. And not necessarily, it wasn't necessarily targeting horror, but a lot of that lent to horror because it was like oh it's been off the table for so long and we can we can oh, we got a whole new toy box back that we can play around with so they they told these dark gritting horror stories and a lot of the the imprints but uh vertigo eventually fell and 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 what happened was that the dc took those dark gritty ideas and incorporated them into their major universe and for a long time the dc universe got very very dark and they were focusing on the wrong aspects what people appreciate and they're drawn to horror to so much uh and they took their own lessons from that and the D- and it's taken up till rebirth now to realize that oh we should bring the hope and lightness back to the dc uh, universe yeah i think that's impacted both sides um yes that's just a, a general you know twist in storytelling approach as of late but but yeah you, but you, spinning off that other people took better lessons from it and let's yes. let's let's talk about those better lessons and where, where people went with uh after the fall of Vertigo, with the resurgence of horror comics, and some of the the best writers ever have dived headfirst in, into into this genre. Uh, we we have Cthulhu things like uh, Lock and Key, oh yeah, which is is a fascinating read, and it, it gets into uh, a visceral horror, and uh, it, it's it's very Cthulian, and it, it leads you into a great introduction for anybody who's going to horror, also because it's complete. It's been complete for about three years now, so it's a one-off entire piece for you to just sink your teeth into. It also sets up the establishment of uh, horror, because in Japan there was never something along Comics Code Authority, and there's two major branches of graphic novels. You have American graphic novels and Asian graphic novels, predominantly Japanese. And American graphic novels were very, in horror, were very cerebral and, uh, and gory, which is, or very, very, very cerebral like in thinking, a lot of mystery, a lot of intrigue, where Japanese graphic novels were very gory and, and bloodthirsty and just 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 leaned heavy into the gore. It wasn't but a, not a lot of thinking to it, which is the exact inverse of what you think of a American horror movies and Absolutely. Japanese horror I was movies. Just, I was just going to say that because if you look at all the great Asian and specifically Japanese horror mm-hmm. films, I mean, they, they have all been very cerebral mind and gamey, yeah. mind gamey. And building towards that that jump scare that never delivers, and yep. yeah. So, and then you look at most uh, current American horror, and it's just a splatter fest. It's just how much goo can we put yes. on the screen? And it's really interesting to see the the, the inversion on those mm-hmm. storytelling approaches, I, I it especially across media. It, yeah. Because if you look back at kind of the uh, the origins of horror in U.S. filmmaking, it was still along that same cerebral kind of 
feeling. I mean, look back at Alfred Hitchcock and Psycho. When everyone swears, you see blood going down the drain. Mm-hmm. You don't. You see blood hit the floor of the bathtub, yes. but there's nothing in the drain. But you're, you're so convinced that it's there mm-hmm. that you make the scene scarier than it actually is. And a lot of that applies to what we see in, in a lot of current horror comics. Yes. Um, Mike, any call-outs here that you can think yes, of that kind of uh, show this? Absolutely. Like, the thing is, through, through the fall of, of Vertigo, uh, and we'll probably talk about this in this week's Legion of Gloom, uh, the, the major publishers we've seen have still shied away from uh, their horror lines. They, they're not doing a lot of horror lines now. And starting to see a slight return. Yeah, no, I would a, agree. A, it's, a still, it's still very niche. But the independents have come forward, and they've come forward hard, especially these creator-owned pieces and everything that, that are oh, out there. IDW and Dark Horse have been oh, lying in oh, Image. D- Dark Horse has been doing a, a ton. Image has been... Yes, absolutely. So let's 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 call some uh, some key special uh, comics out that we just love from in the genre of horror that are out now and continue to be. Some of these continue to be published. Like I already mentioned, Lock and Key. It's a great place to start on horror, and it's complete, so it's easy to sink your teeth into. Uh, American Vampire is very very interesting. Scott Snyder piece. Oh you know, yeah, well all, everything Scott Snyder writes yes, has a Court of a Owls, horror tinge. Swamp Thing, New Fifty Two. Like he's 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 done very well with the dark and gritty. Uh, and American Vampire is very very interesting. It's specifically because each volume is its own time piece. Like the first volume, I believe, is in uh, a Vegas, and then it jumps to like uh, old timey London and and cowboy. So it's each in its own time time zone uh, piece of history. So that makes it a very unique read and very. Everything is small and consolidated in each volume. So they're complete stories that you can pick up real easy and read. Um, Witches, also by Scott Snyder, is very interesting and dark and gritty where it gets you that all the witches you've heard about in the history and past of Salem and all of them, they're all fake. But there's real witches out there that are demons and have been hiding in the background the whole time. And it's dealing with them. Uh, ooh. I know you want to talk about this, so I'll let you take it over for, mm-hmm. for Nailbiter. Oh, Nailbiter uh, by Josh Williamson, who's the current scribe for The Flash. And, oh, Nailbiter is like every great episode of Dexter without actually ending. Mm-hmm. It is, mm-hmm. it's amazing. It is the story of a small town in Oregon that has actually spawned about 16 of the U.S.'s worst serial yeah. killers. Uh. And... Um, one of the current serial killers, who's actually now on the lam, is known as Nailbiter because he gnaws mm-hmm. the nails off of all of his victims. And so an FBI agent gets involved and is trying to really, not so much even just locate him, but trying to figure out what is going on in this town that is spawning all these serial killers. Why are they all being created here? What's going on? And Josh Williamson is great at writing police procedurals. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is evident in his work in The Flash, but when, it's like it's like reading an episode of Criminal Minds without without that kind of cliche police procedure. Like you actually feel yes. like you are trying, you're taking a step into the the mind of a serial killer. It is a very haunting book. It is visually challenging. It, like there there are moments where I had to kind of like put the book down and walk away because it just got a little too much. Yeah, but it's, it's like I said, it's it's gritty. It gets it gets right up in there. I'm I mean, not afraid it, it, of it honestly leaves you nail-biting. Yep. I mean, it's it, it really is. It's a great book. And it, it really turned me on to Josh Williamson. In fact, I actually found out about it after he was announced as the writer of Flash. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know about this book. And I remember when he was announced, everyone was kind of like, what, this guy? This guy's writing Flash? What? 
So I, I went and looked up nail biter and was like, okay, this, yeah, this, I'll, this makes sense. It's, it's terrifying, but it makes sense. A lot of these horror writers that you, you go through that they're publishing, like people like Garth Ennis and Scott Snyder, the, you, you read their other works in superhero uh, genres and you're like, oh, they're light hearted and stuff like that. And then they're just like, oh my God, these writers have just been saving up all their grit and terror and horror and just waiting to unleash it. And then they write these independent comic horrors that are just, oh my God, just, do you think you know somebody i know right (laughs) you're like damn man whoo where did that come from what goes on in your skull so you keep mentioning scott snyder so and of course there's american vampire but as we mentioned everything he does kind of has a horror tinge to it we saw that throughout the entirety of his batman run yes i mean with court of owls night of the owls um now with metal i mean Everything has got kind of this Slenderman uh-huh. vibe behind Ugh. it. So you get this rising tide of horror in mainstream comics, and it's it's really refreshing. But again, if you're looking for actual absolute horror, this is this is an indie spotlight. You've got to go indie to get good horror. Yes, absolutely. And uh, before I move on to the the final little few I want to talk about that has helped change the medium, let's take a hop across the pond real quick. And uh, give me, I'm going to give you a few recommendations for some Japanese manga graphic novels. Oh, yeah, because you're definitely into manga. Please, oh, fire yeah, away. I've been reading manga since I was six years old, longer than I have comics. And uh, there's there's a few, because they've done, they like I said, it never went away. They never had a comics code authority. They've leaned hard into horror there throughout the existence of manga. Uh, and some standouts, uh, Uzumaki is, a, is an amazing one. Uzumaki yes. means spiral in Japanese. And it's almost Cthulian. Uh, esque in its presentation where it's a small town that's obsessed with spirals and then people start dying and curl up and their limbs become spirals and then the house and the village starts shifting into spirals and people's eyes start digging into their head and becoming spirals or people turning into snails and it just builds up and it's very Cthulhu-esque where there's another world of spirals that it's coming into them and it's a great read we had a resurgence of the, the zombie genre I, I cannot recommend a manga enough called hero it's i've one heard of the, good things i haven't had a chance to pick it up though. it's phenomenal they're doing a live action uh, adaptation of it it may already be out in japan um but it should be coming to our shores shortly or already has arrived in a subtitled format it does zombie so right like everything you happens in a zombie movie you're like that's stupid why would you do that it's not done in Hero, and it's just it's it's a very gratifying read and a completely fresh take on the zombie uh, genre. Uh, and moving to something a little bit more contemporary now, uh, talk about uh, Tokyo Ghoul, which is a phenomenal horror comic. And like I said, over there it gets much much more gory, and it tells tells the story of a boy who is attacked by a ghoul, who are these subhumans that eat other humans and can eat nothing else and they have these tails that come out of them and he gets killed by one and a surgeon implants organs from the dead ghoul that that was there with him at the scene into him for him to survive and it's him slowly becoming a ghoul and dealing with the the craving for human flesh and I think that it. one's getting a live action adaptation. It I, is. I, yeah, it, it has I saw a trailer adaptation. come out for yes. it. Yes, and it, uh, it has a, a two season anime run on it already. Oh, I know. And it that. has a full second series. They they finished Tokyo Ghoul, the the whole complete set series, and now re Tokyo Ghoul is uh, started up and about four or five volumes in, and it's 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 riveting 
because it's like it's it's horror at its best and it's Cronenbergian where the the body mutation and everything and learning to be less than human and still accepting your humanity it's 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 fantastic horror it's always good in horror comics when we see the struggle between man and monster absolutely i Perfect love example. that vibe and actually calling into that i'm going to talk about some of my favorite horror comics which actually you wouldn't think of as horror i mean one's kind of upfront, but uh what really got me back into horror comics was uh, honestly marvel zombies which uh, is really funny uh-huh. because i actually hate Zombies. I'm like terrified. It's like an, it's an irrational fear of zombies. He, he's not joking. Yeah, there was, uh, he is terrified yeah, of zombies. It does not go well. But what got me into it was because they did, they did a crossover with Evil Dead. And oh seeing gosh. Bruce Campbell on a comic page was just like I had to lean into that it. it was chin. Great. That chin. Yeah, the, it, was, it was great. It was funny, but also still had the gore. It was cool. Um, but then I started reading Ghost Rider. And specifically the mm-hmm. Mark Teixeira run. And that's really cool because from a artistic style everything is done in oil painting yeah it's, it's incredible it's, art it's beautiful and that deals a little more with satan satanism and black magic uh-huh. and in the first volume of it you find out that basically ghost rider and satan are linked and the only way that he can rise is if ghost rider leaves hell and returns to earth yeah it gets dark and what happens is satan is essentially broken into 666 pieces hmm that's an awfully familiar number yeah it's really cool because Ghost Rider goes on a hunt to banish him, but as he's collecting them, he's actually making him stronger. So it's this really cool uh, vibe, and Ghost Rider's learning more about himself, and Satan is just really creepy. We're, we're talking like Tim Curry and Legend kind of creepy uh, in the book. It's it's really great storytelling. Before we dig into uh, two selections that are kind of our favorite representation of the genre, I'm going to move into this last little category of horror comics that have really helped the revitalization of the genre. Yeah, and about this, that. this is our multimedia comics. Uh, these are comics that have been made into TV shows that have grown highly successful. Uh, and we'll just go through them one by one. Let's start off with pretty much the the number one media conversion that's helped to get horror off its feet, and that's Robin Kirkman's, Robert Kirkman's The Walking Dead. You mean The Talking Dead? The Talking Dead, I know. It's, it's faltered a little bit in the final seasons. Uh, but that got people so into horror, and it got people, and because of that, people went out and they bought The Walking Dead, and they bought a lot of The Walking Dead. Oh yeah, very very successful comic line. Well, it's funny. It's interesting when he originally pitched it, no one wanted to do a zombie comic, and nope. he actually had to do it. Where it's like it was like an alien invasion that caused the zombie thing, and yeah. then he ended up just abandoning that plot and doing what he originally wanted to do. Yeah, he had to seek out like self financing and things like that. Yeah, was, but I mean, again, that's that's. That is definitely the hallmark of conversion. I mean, you, you talk about how it, it inspired sales and stuff. There are entire issues that mm-hmm. are impossible to find right now because they've gone. I mean, I think was it recently uh, an issue of Walking Dead? I think what was it? Was it Even the omnibuses 10? are almost always out of print. Yeah, the omnibuses are out of print. But uh, I think was it CGC released one of their very rare Jim Mint, you know, yes. 10.0 that was actually a Walking Dead issue. So it was. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a crossover hit, and and that really opened up the floodgates because they saw how much like all oh, that's all it takes for CEO and investors to see how much something money makes, and then they're like, we're gonna pick the pick the cadaver clean of anything we can, and it opened up uh, things like let's talk about a couple. One would more say of them. it made them ravenous. <laughs> and moving on from that, we have a, a preacher that just oh, uh, yeah. finished up its second season. Another great horror, uh, the comic created by Garth Ennis. 
uh, you know, notable horror comic writer, creator of Hellblazer and The Darkness. And the Preachers had a phenomenal run. It just finished up its second season. And this is telling a lot from a from a comic series that's complete and has been complete for years. Oh, absolutely. And, like this. and Preachers, very, again, one of those very niche comics that uh-huh. a lot of people don't know about. Had never heard of. So yeah. it's good that it's getting a resurgence because it's very underappreciated. Oh, so good. Cassidy, uh, having given me just give me an Irish vampire like it's it uh, the comic is fantastic and it's interesting the 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 way they're doing the presentation because the entire season of the first comic uh, of the first uh, TV the entire season of the first uh, TV series takes place in the realm of the story of the very first comic. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it was it was one. It definitely has the most accuracy from a page-to-screen adaptation. Uh, I mean, just the visual aesthetic of the show is very much on point. You mentioned Hellblazer, and let's... Constantine has become a a big breakout character. He's one of these hidden characters, again, because of the collapse of Vertigo. Mm -hmm. And then they brought him into the main DC universe, and he just kind of was in the background. I think the most prominent appearance he had for a while was randomly showing up at Hal Jordan's funeral. Yeah. It was weird. Uh, And hitting on Zatanna because he's John Constantine. Yep, that's what he does. But you had... So many things that spun out of that. And then again, he became so popular again that we saw not only a return of his book, but a lot of sub-characters in his book got their own books. I mean, Papa Midnight got a book for a while. John, John Constantine, Constantine got his own television series. And May it not rest just, in peace. Not, no, not just that, but he got an animated series on CWC. Yes. And Constantine is coming back for a two or three episode arc on Legends of Tomorrow yes, this he, season. Yes, he's shown up in the Arrowverse several times and in... in, in, in like praise be to the comic book gods because that actor is oh, John Matt Ryan's Constantine. Incredible is John Matt Constantine. Ryan is John Constantine. Yeah, there is no other person that could be him. Anytime he breaks the trench coat back out, I'm very like, happy. I'm sorry, Keanu Reeves, but Matt Ryan is John Constantine. Oh, I forgot. Even John, he even had a movie even after him. The best part about that movie was watching Shia LaBeouf get slammed into the ceiling <laughs> over and over and over again. Oh. Uh, and then we have a another breakout star in the horror genre to screen adaptation. It's actually it's its second adaptation. It went from book to comic to television series, and that is one of the masters of of, of horror in, in this generation, Guillermo del Toro's The Strain, and it is a phenomenal comic. Like it's just as good as the adaptation of the book, but the TV series. Seeing it on the screen, seeing those giant tongues, ugh, it has the worst tongues, the most terrifying tongues I've seen in any comic, in any portrayal, and they do it justice on, on the small screen. It is, it's, I believe, on its fourth or fifth season now. Yeah, I think so. And the great adaptation of that, the reason it's a great adaptation is because they specifically said, we're not fluffing it. We're not doing anything. We're doing a direct adaptation of the comic. This is what it's going to be. It's going to be this many seasons, no more. So you have nice, concise writing, and it's shown it very well. Uh, that'll be leading us into the last Outcast, which is another Robert Kirkman possession, where him getting back to his roots and like, I'm zombies are over. I'm going to go back on demon possession. That shows us that horror is back, and it's back with style. Absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about some recommendations. Well, even more recommendations, I guess, because yeah. we kind of already gone on that that tangent. But um, for me, the big breakout in in horror comics right now uh, that I've just finished up was Rachel Rising. It was an, uh, an independent, creator-owned comic mm-hmm. done by Terry Moore under oh, Abstract Studios. Wonderful and man. I love Terry Moore. I've had the opportunity to meet him a couple of times. He's very soft-spoken. He's an incredible artist. And the interesting thing about him is he does... He writes and 
draws his own comics. Yeah. I, but it's, I, it's all done in pencil. It's all black and white. It's just straightforward. The only one he's got in color right now, I think, is Motor Girl, his current yes, the new title. One. Yeah. I'm a bit behind the curve on this because I have never read a Terry Moore independent comic, but I've met and talked to him extensively. So. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it let's, let's tell that story. Well. We were at uh, Dallas Comic Con mm-hmm. together, and my wife's a big Terry Moore fan, so I've got her Strangers in Paradise omnibus, and we walk up and get it autographed. And that was right as he was first. Just uh, setting up, yeah. It was also right as Racial Rising was starting. Yes. Like, it was only, like, one volume in at that point. Uh, so that's actually where I heard about it, and I went back to my shop and started pulling Rachel Rising, and oh, my God, yeah. that book is incredible. It's horror, but not the way you'd expect. Looking forward to it. It is, it, I mean, it's amazing. First of all, it's in his typical style, so it's all pencils, it's all black and white, and he makes it creepy. Like, there's panels where it's just trees and a field, and it's unnerving. Seeing it in sheer black and white makes it honestly a little more terrifying at times. It just tells you, like, we talk about the dichotomy with these independent authors. You never know. Because he's, I cannot emphasize enough, ladies and gentlemen, he's such a lovely man. Oh, he's great. <laughs> he's just the nicest person, just well, well-spoken, soft-spoken, friendly, congenial. Like, yeah. Yeah, and so I'm reading this book, and it's really about, it ties back into, like, the old Salem witch trials. It ties into uh, just just classic horror vibes, people rising from the dead, you know, world domination, demonic possession. It is, like, every great moment. If you're a Supernatural fan, you will Mm. like Rachel Rising. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, it's very much along the same vein. It's like, imagine season four of Supernatural. It's basically Rachel Rising, but, but better. I mean, uh, the main character in it, Rachel, I mean, you start off and she is waking up out of her own grave. So this is like panel two, page one, and you're just thrown into this like, I'll jump what right the into hell? it there. Yeah, there's there's no setup. It's just, it, it works kind of like a horror film where there's no preamble. It's just, boom, shit hits the fan. Here you are, go. And... You're you're terrified and intrigued and sympathetic and you're trying to un- like it, it plays with your emotions. It, in one issue, you'll have just straight horror, like some stuff goes down, and you're like, "Damn!" And the next issue, everyone's reacting to that. So it's not it's not like a bunch of horror tropes where it's like, "Why don't we just get in the running car?" No, let's go hide behind the chainsaws. There's a lot of human reactions and moments where people are like, "I just need a moment to process this." There's so it, witches it coming like back it, from the dead. <laughs> it blends like the cerebral thriller with the gore and slasher as yeah, well. Yeah, it's it's not so much on the gore and slasher. Mm-hmm. It's got more of the the classic monster vibe. Oh, okay, yeah. But I mean, there's there's some intense moments where it's like. I mean, things that make you go, Bleh. like, there, there's a couple of All issues right. there. I'm picking like, up what you're putting down. There's a couple of issues, I think, in, like, volume two, where I had to, like, make sure I was reading it with the lights on. Like, I was getting legitimately <laughs> creeped out reading it alone in the middle of the night. I was on a business trip, and I brought my wife's comics with me because she actually, you know, got into it faster than I did because oh, she yes. loves Terry Moore. His wife adores these comics. Yeah. He's not recommended them enough to me. So she's like, here, take this with you. And I'm like, I'm sitting in my hotel room. I'm reading this. I'm going to far off city and I'm like hearing stuff on the window. I'm like, nope, it, nope, 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 nope. Turn the light on. <laughs> Hold back a nopes. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was definitely a nope fest. Uh, but there are, there are great moments. I cannot recommend this book enough. And again, I, I keep saying this, but the fact that it's done strictly in pencils, you don't lose anything. You don't lose uh-huh. any connection to the character. The characters are more articulate almost. And it really allows you to visualize 
the scenes a little better so you don't have some pre-established visualization you've just got what's going on and you can apply your own lighting and color schemes and stuff black which, and white tends to really lend into horror there's another horror series called black hole that's all in black and white that is it's it just works yeah the number of times i visualize what the scene would look like in color and creep myself out are pretty much every single issue so i would <laughs> i cannot recommend this book Too enough much. it's 42 issues it just recently ended the omnibus is out there I've actually got it on my shelf at home. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it's definitely go pick this up. It is a great, great read. If you want to get creeped out, read Rachel Rising. And, and another thing about the visual of that, touching on it real quick, is that I don't think there's a lot of people out there in the comic industry that draw women as well as Terry Moore does. Oh, absolutely. They're drawn as people and not sex objects. Yes. Like, he draws people. It looks like a real person. Yeah, he draws people and not archetypes. He is incredibly dedicated to his his craft, and it, it comes across in both the the writing and the art. I mean, he is a it's a master class in writing. But Terry Moore, again, to Michael's point, really does draw people, which in terms of Rachel Rising makes it a little creepier uh-huh. because there's a moment where one of the characters actually looks a little bit too close to uh, one of my nieces. So I was like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, definitely. Definitely things that make it go boom. Yeah, that, there was a whole bunch of unnerving moments reading Mitchell Rising. Uh, but yeah, I would definitely recommend, like I said, if you want to get creeped out, if you enjoy good long-form storytelling, go check out Rachel Rising. It's a great book. All right, I'm excited. Now I'm going to talk about my little uh, piece of horror comics. And it's probably my third favorite horror comics. Now you're probably asking, Mighty Mike. Why are you talking about one of your third favorite horror comics? What's going on here, man? Why are you diving uh, to the bottom of the list? It's because this is the first comic book series that I ever binged. That it was, I found it in whole. It's all out. It's complete. It's done. About Hashtag four binging. years ago, uh, and I devoured this comic. And it is. It was dark. It was gritty. It was a lot like stuff I hadn't seen before. And that is Garth Ennis, a running uh, name that's been on this list of horror so far's. The Darkness. Yes. Another Top Cow uh, independent production. And The Darkness, in the first several pages of the very first book, show Jackie Estacado, a mafia hitman, run a guy, peg him to the wall, and shoot him in the head. Like, it just takes you right off the first page. It sets the tone. Hey, this is dark. This is gritty. This guy's not a hero. And it tells the story of the darkness. Now, in, in their mythos in the Top Cow universe, there is uh, two opposing forces, the darkness and Angelus, which is light and the, the darkness, basically. And it, it, it tops it, spins it on its head because the darkness is a agent of chaos and creation, and the light, in this case, is an agent of destruction. Uh, and they are two divine beings who eventually mate and have, give birth to the Witchblade to provide balance and order between the two of them but jackie estacado is a long line inheritor of the darkness that is passed down through his gene line who becomes a host he becomes possessed by this huge world shaping entity uh they all possess it at their 21st birthday become infused with the darkness and if they ever conceive or give birth to anybody they immediately die and the darkness is passed on to whoever they conceive to and it wow. is Fuck, yeah, that sucks. yeah it's 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 gripping and it it's like i said it's very visceral 
It and also plays on a classic horror trend where it's like, don't have sex, bad things happen. Exactly. And it's it's it literally does. It's it it's it's a very classic possession story. And it, it's the whole time it's Jackie Estacado, who is a bad person, struggling with with his humanity and being possessed by this all powerful creation. But it also has very satiric in light tones before it uh, went very, very dark in later volumes where Jackie has literally the power of creation with the darkness. He can create almost anything he wants. And he these darkness creates these things called darklings, which are the embodiment of evil in every psyche and branch of his, his personality has their own darkling. And these guys come out and they he sends them to do things. He sends them to kill and eat people. They can take any shape, any form. Um, one of my favorite was when they had a the darkness crossover with Batman. And yes. The darklings are like... They're like, uh, guy dresses in leather with pointy ears, stays up all night and fighting crime. Sounds like a freak to me. <laughs> like, they, they say anything that's in Jackie's head, they say. And for a mafioso boy who was raised to be a hitman and murderer, he's got a lot of freaky, horrible things to say. And so, the first arc is the only thing that ties him down is his love for another orphan that he grew up with named Jenny. And she tries to convince him to use the darkness's powers for good. But, like... If you wanted to make The Punisher, like we've talked about The Punisher, if you wanted to make a good story about The Punisher, this is the way to do it. Because Jackie's not a hero. He's not an anti-hero. Jackie's a bad guy. He's a mafia, so he's a killer. And they find out that he loves Jenny, the mafia, and trying to, they're trying to change him for good. So they kill her. So he lures everybody involved to a warehouse, and he blows the warehouse up, himself included, because he didn't want to live without Jenny. Just kills them all, kills himself, and then what do they do for a horror comic? You spend the next two arcs of the story in hell. Like, it, 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 there's being tortured. It's going around. It, it gets very graphic in, it, in its imagery. And you just you, you devour it because you want to find out, like, is, is Jackie going to have his saving grace? Is he going to come a hero? That's What's going to happen? a lot of the great trends in horror comics is that while they do go for the spook, they do go for the unnerving. There's yeah. always this weird element of hope yes and it's it really is challenging as a reader i'm not not challenging in a bad way but it's it's really refreshing at times to to read this dark gothic horrible story and still come away with a sense of hope and purpose and in a lot of cases redemption there's some greater purpose behind what's going through and that's that's obvious in both of these books yes. whether rachel rising and in uh what the darkness it? darkness yeah, and it's represented be- because, like I said, they have that twist in there where you would think, because he, he fights angels throughout the, they're his, his number one enemy, the Angelus, or he fights them. And you're like, oh, but they do that twist where the darkness itself is chaos and it is a force for creation where the light destroys, the darkness creates. I just keep thinking of, oh, is it Zorg's monologue from <laughs> Fifth Element? <laughs> but if it is destroyed. But if it's destroyed. Yes. Gary Oldman for the win. Oh, God. So good. And that, that's why I really love and, and captivated the darkness, by, captivated by the darkness, not only because I binged it, but also because it has this rich, diverse mythos and universe it puts in, and it touches on two other uh, uh, horror-slanted comics, which are the Witchblade and Angelus. So and Witchblade has crossed over with a lot of things. Yes. I mean, which we've seen Witchblade cross over with Wolverine several times. Uh, Witchblade's been all. I mean, she had a, a TV series for one point, on, I believe, on Sci-Fi. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of lot of action around Witchblade. Yeah, it was. It's so 
it's a rich universe and it's it's basic grounding is in horror and you have this culmination in everything Witchblades out everything darkness is out and uh everything angelus is out and it's just nice tight story of these opposing forces and it's done in a very graphic it deals with sex it deals with it, it seems something like right out of the original vertigo imprint um, and that's the freedom that independent writers have, that they can tell these horrific stories with these dark, dark characters and and it, it be able to do that that the big two publishers just aren't really doing at the moment. Well, you mentioned the big two. There's a, there's a couple of books I want to mention real quick. Let's lay them down. Um, that is – it's, a, it's a, actually a trilogy. It is basically Batman versus Dracula. Mm. And it's, it's three pieces. There's uh, Red Rain, um, Crimson Mist, and I'm sorry, I forget the name of the third one. But it's pretty much Batman is a vampire. It, it, but the coolest thing about it is the art. The storytelling is what you'd expect. Batman becomes a vampire. Nothing new. A vampire bat? <laughs> Man, you're going to up your pun games in this episode. I'm, I am winning right now. You are. It's yeah. like three to one right now. Yeah, see? I'm off my so, game. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, okay. But it was done by Kelly Jones, who has this amazing ability to take a man and make him a monster. And Kelly mm-hmm. Jones actually drew Batman for quite a ton- for quite some time. He's the the architect behind that emit that iconic uh, Nightfall cover where Batman gets snapped over Bane's knee. I've had the opportunity to meet Kelly Jones and talk about that mm-hmm. particular cover, but he has a really really great way of turning Batman into this monster, which really pl- ties into his original mythos where he's supposed to be this urban legend, this this hunter of man. So there's a lot of playing with the idea of Batman in the story. And I was actually at my local comic shop today picking stuff up, and they had a statue inspired by this run. And oh, it was beautiful. Oh, it was terrifying. Like, it, it was just, yeah. I want it on my shelf, but I also want to, like, hide it behind something. <laughs> um, and another comic that is classic to this genre that I can't believe we haven't talked about, we haven't put it on the board, Spawn. Oh, absolutely. And I know Spawn holds a special place in your heart, Michael. Yes, Spawn is one of the very first comics I ever read of all time. And it was, uh, I, I, I couldn't, I didn't have the possibility to binge it because I started reading Spawn when issue two was out. And I had an entire box. It was one of the first comic books I actually collected. And I had a huge Spawn comic box and I, I read it religiously. And it is, it is. It, you, the, the first issue, uh, he's a mercenary who gets burned alive and sent to hell and becomes an agent of, of hell to do its wishes on the mortal plane and him he, fighting he's with it. Not a man, he's not a monster. Yes. It's very strange. Well, I bring it up because it was announced recently that uh, Spawn, another Spawn movie is coming. Uh, to, yes. uh, Tom McFarlane is directly in control of it, so it's going to be very close to the original spirit of Spawn mm-hmm. and what, what Spawn fans really want. And Spawn's a character that really, really well, <laughs> that, that very that, that is really good at straddling the line between classic superhero fare and just hardcore horror. Also, it should be noted, uh, what very predominant that he's obviously in a mask and everything, but uh, when you look at his his pull a very predominant black character absolutely yes yeah so that pretty much wraps us for this week um if you want to follow the hall of joseph a little more closely you can find us on youtube mm-hmm. under the hall of joseph where we do our legion of gloom we're also on twitter and instagram at hall of justice so give us your feedback reach out let us know what characters or subjects you'd like us to cover 